I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy Valentine's Day, Kiki. <sighs> this again. Another Valentine's Day, another year single. Here's to all the single people. Happy Singles Awareness Day, everyone. Yep. But uh, before we get to the love story, uh, let's talk about that Lightyear trailer that uh, it just dropped. Uh, as we are recording, the new Lightyear trailer just dropped. Uh, and it looks really good. Uh, we get a little bit more of the story that we are uh, of, of this film. Uh, I'm it, really digging the 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 design of Zerg in the trailer. Yeah, it looks like it's gonna be the story of the first meeting with Zerg. Yeah. It, it that that just looks like what the that just looks like what the story's gonna be. But we have to talk about the most important thing, which is I want his socks. I want cute little robot animals that are also digital assistants and keep me company. Because honestly, humans are awful and they make bad friends. I want AI to keep me company and be my friend and And be adorable. And then he'll do white noise to get you to go to sleep. (laughs) That was kind of creepy. I'm not going to lie. Just that, just when when it leans back and opens its mouth and it just like makes that static noise. I was like, okay, that is slightly nightmare inducing. And I gotta say, the more I hear of Evan's performance, the more I'm really digging it. He's kind of nailing it. Yeah, I mean, it it's definitely not the the Captain America voice that a lot of people are used to, but it works for Buzz. I and you know I hadn't really thought of him as a voice actor, but I'm starting to hear it. Yeah. And they're still using the kind of ch- chopped up trippy Starman in the trailer, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of hoping they've just licensed for the film proper, because I'm really digging the vibe. I, I mean, you know you. It's it's really difficult to go wrong with Bowie. So uh but I'm I'm starting to feel it as a vibe for the film. It it looks so good so far. I I can't I can't wait to see how this turns out. So yeah, when it comes out in June, uh let's see how that's gonna go. I mean, I kinda wanna see it. I wanna see what they come up with with this new this new interpretation of Buzz Lightyear. Because, you know, if, if everyone's making their own dark and gritty reboot of everything, uh, Pixar might as well do it themselves with their own character. I, I, I want it. Yeah. I want it. Give it to me now. And a socks. <laughs> and a socks. So uh, let's do a little, let's move on to our next topic here. The Academy Award nominees have been announced. And Disney definitely has uh, a lot of nominees in this one. Let's go with the animated feature films. Three 
Disney films are up for Best Animated Feature Film. Encanto, naturally. Luca and Ryan, The Last Dragon. And its competition is pretty fierce because you've got The Mitchells versus The Machines, which if Encanto had not come out this year, arguably would have been one of the best animated movies of the year. Mitchells versus Machines has made a massive splash, including being listed as uh, director Bong Joon-ho's one of his favorite movies of the year. Yeah. I mean, which is a massive, massive uh, stamp of approval right there. But uh, I mean, if I had to call it right now, I'm saying nothing's beating Encanto. The other thing that's that's up for animated feature is actually a uh, foreign language film, an international film, at least um, also listed in the international film category. Flee from Denmark. It's you know, I've heard good things about that one as well. You know, I'm I'm not taking away from that. I don't know. It just feels like the year that Encanto can't be stopped. Disney also has uh, a film up for Best Picture. The remake this of year? West Side Story, yeah. Yeah, West Side Story. Um, so Spielberg, the director, also up for Best Director. He set a uh, a record actually this year. Spielberg has. Um for the oscars spielberg has now become the first person in oscar history to receive a best director nomination across six different decades wow um so uh he first received a best director nomination in 1978 for close encounters of the third kind and now at 75 years old he has now received his eighth uh nomination for west side story he had been previously in in a tie with scorsese for directing nominations and uh now he has uh left scorsese behind in that regard and uh yeah it's it's pretty good. I I am a, a massive Spielberg fan myself, so it's kind of interesting that he gets the um, nomination both for himself and also for working with Disney because in that first film he was nominated for, Close Encounters, he had a, a very difficult time getting the rights to use when you wish upon a star Hmm. for that film that is his favorite song in history when you when you wish upon a star and he wanted to use that in the film as kind of a big set piece at the end and uh disney did not want to give him permission to use use that in his uh pulpy little alien film they thought it would be against their brand um and so it's kind of interesting now that uh he's now bringing home oscar nominations for the mouse yeah so uh Best visual effects uh, from the Disney company. It's we get Shang Chi and Free Guy up for best visual effects. Yep. Both we, deserving in that category, honestly. 
Yeah, I mean, both of them just visual treats in completely different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, costume design, Cruella, and uh, also West Side Story. But we've we've talked about Cruella before. How fascinating that was in the fashion nods uh, and uh, some of the inventiveness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, West Side Story, also good costume design. I'm, I'm not uh, knocking that mm-hmm. by any means, but um, I think I would, between the two of them, I might have to tip it to Cruella. Best original song. Dos Arugitas from Encanto is up for that award. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, it should have been Bruno. But as we mentioned in our in our Moana episode, uh, the deadline was before Encanto's release. And they decided to go with the song that would, let's be honest, be more appealing to the Academy. Yeah, they felt that that one, since it is used, spoiler alert, in kind of a moment of drama and tragedy and, you know, that it would be more the prestige Oscar song. So that's the one they chose. Personally, I would have gone with either Bruno or if I was thinking more logically, I would have honestly put forward surface pressure. Because it is both catchy and it is a big show-stopping number for a single soloist, which tends to be a, a type that is more uh, Oscar Beatty. <laughs> mm. um, so I would have personally put forward service pressure had I been choosing the song to put forward for the Oscars. I think that's all we can. Oh yeah, um, Encanto is also up for best original score. And again, you know the the music in in Encanto is very good, the score is very good, and you know good luck to it. It's 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 got competition, with especially with with Dune, in that category. I I will say um also Cruella up for makeup and hairstyling. Yeah. Um, which I think it might, it might lose out to Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is also up. And I, ooh, I would have a tough choice, uh, if I were choosing between those two, I might give the edge to Eyes of Tammy Faye. Cause that well, was technically Eyes work. of Tammy Faye. I mean, that's a searchlight pictures me so technically might count as disney well yeah that that one that one probably falls under the disney thing too so you know it still might it still might come home to house of mouse at that point (laughs) um but yeah i you know i might give the edge to that one um but yeah i mean you know pretty pretty good year for disney at the oscars i gotta say yeah um lots of lots of good uh Lots of good uh, things up there. Um, if we're if we're going with Eyes of Tammy Faye as well, um, Jessica, Jessica Chastain is up for Best Actress um, for her her role in there as Tammy Faye Baker. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, yeah, that nasty Oscars. Um, 
you want to go into the Razzies? <laughs> are are there any in the Razzies? I didn't see the Razzies. Um, hold on. Uh, I mean, I'll cut this part out, but you know, yeah. they're uh, Razzies, 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 Razzies. Worst actor, Scott Eastwood, Dangerous. Uh, Row hard to press for Diana the Musical. There's a lot of hate for Diana the Musical and the Razzies this year, which I don't think it deserves that kind of hate, mostly because it's not a movie. It's a recording of a stage production. Uh, LeBron James in Space Jam. Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen. Mark Webber in Infinite. Worst, act, worst actress. Yeah, there's a lot of hate for... Da, da, da. Mm, yeah. Mm. Trying to look and see if there's any Disney related. Um, There's a lot of hate for Dear Evan Hansen, which is fair. Worst remake. Um, oh, it's Karen. Is that okay? Yeah, not not nothing Disney I can see. Okay, so we can. So the Razzies were spared. The Razzies were spared from Disney. But Mm -hmm. a lot of hate for Diana. Bruce Willis gets his own category. What? What does that mean? Like, there's an entire category that's called Worst Bruce Willis Performance. I didn't see that. See if I can find it. Oh. Yeah, worst performance by Bruce Willis. In a 2021 movie, let's see. American City, Jerry Spikes, Cosmic Thin, Deadlock, Fortress, Midnight, and the Switchgrass, Out of Death, or Survive the Game. I have not heard of any of those films. I'm not even kidding. I have not heard of any of those films. Neither have I. That is absolutely nuts. I have not even heard of those films. Yeah. So like, I guess we can move on then. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even mention the Razzies. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our main feature because it is Valentine's Day. We decided that we're going to go with a classic Disney love story, Lady and the Tramp. He is a tramp, but we love him. The story behind Lady and the Tramp is a unique one. Uh, Joe Grant, who was a Disney artist at the time, had come up with a story about his own dog named Lady. And the story being about how about this dog that once a couple had a new baby, that they kind of started to ignore the dog. Disney, Walt Disney himself was very interested in this kind of a story, but felt that the story didn't have enough action, didn't have enough... Um, didn't have enough story and that, you know, just following this one dog for the whole movie really wouldn't work as a film. Enter a short story by uh, by author Ward Green called Happy Dan the Cynical Dog. And Walt really liked the story and felt that this is what the lady movie was missing. This counter dog, the cynical dog, the street dog. And felt, well, why don't we have, why don't we take your story about this, dog being ignored for the new baby and combine it with this 
street dog. Let's have these two dogs fall in love, and that'll be the action that we need for this picture. So they got the rights to the, to that. They contacted Ward Green to update the story and add these little elements of the lady story, and thus we get Lady and the Tramp. There is a well-known story. I don't know how true it is, but it, it is a story that the Disney company constantly tells is the opening of the, of the movie where Jim Deere gives Darling Lady in the Hat Box. Apparently that actually happened. That was Walt actually gave his wife a dog in a hat box for Christmas one year, and they decided to put that in the movie. I don't know how true that story is, but Disney's going with it every time, so that's the story they're going with. It's a cute story, so let's let's go with cute. Let's it's role cute. of cute. But it wouldn't be one of these episodes without some controversy. Because you got to have the controversy with these older movies. So when it came down to selling this in home media... One of the people involved with this movie was not getting the royalties that they deserved. That would be Peggy Lee, the legendary singer who wrote pretty much all of the songs in this movie and performed quite a few of them. She was not getting the royalties that she deserved from the VHS releases of the film. And Peggy Lee sued Disney. She, the, the lawsuit was settled, but she did eventually get the royalties that she was owed for the songs that she wrote for this film you know peggy peggy lee has done so many outstanding songs weirdly though if you're a huge fallout nerd like i am uh probably the one that sticks in your brain is johnny guitar Because if you're skulking around New Vegas, that one's on repeat from Radio New Vegas. <laughs> um, but of course, she, you know, she she recorded uh, Fever. You give me fever. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight Fever in the morning, a fever all through the night And then she also recorded an amazing version of um, Why Don't You Do Right? Yeah. Which everybody remembers as Jessica Rabbit's big number yeah. Um, but of course, if you've ever heard it sung by anybody other than Jessica Rabbit, you probably heard it sung by Peggy Lee. Why don't you do right? Like some other men do. Disney, we've we've discussed multiple times because they won't let us stop discussing it because they won't stop doing it 
has a continued issue to this day of not wanting to pay their artists what they owe. Yeah, we had a big talk discussion last year of not wanting to pay the writers of the Star Wars novels. By the way, that is still going on. Mm. Uh, Disney has not relented and paid the writers of tie-in fiction what they actually owe them. So, you know, if you're wanting to be supportive of that, please go look that up because that is still ongoing. They still owe royalties to writers of things like the uh, tie-in alien uh, novels and Star Wars novels and lots of other things that they bought in um, the Fox merger and the Lucas buyout and tons of other things. Um, so, yeah. Like we always say, we do not stay in a corporation, but uh, we appreciate the creatives who give us the actual art on the ground. Uh, and we will shout them out and promote their work as much as possible. You want to get into the actual creatives who did put their heart and soul into this film? Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about the the cast here who who brought this to life. Um, we have a lot of people who we've talked about before. Most of these names in this film we have talked about before. Uh, doing the voice of Lady, we have Barbara Luddy. Uh, when did we last talk about her? Probably Cinderella, Sleepy Beauty, Hundred One Dalmatians, maybe. Pooh yeah, Pooh Bear. Um, so she did the voice of uh, Meriwether in Sleeping Beauty. Uh, she was Rover in Hundred One Dalmatians, Kanga in Winnie and the Pooh. Um, so yeah. In the role of the tramp, we have somebody that we've actually never talked about before because this was basically his only film role. His name is Larry Roberts. He was seen by one of the Disney uh, story uh, people um, performing on stage in Hollywood in some theater group. and. That guy went like, hey, you know, you got a pretty good voice. You ever thought of doing a voiceover animation or whatever? I work for Disney. You might be good for some stuff. And Larry went, you know, hey, they can always use a job. Sure. And that's kind of how he ended up in the part. Disney never really used him for anything else, though. Don't know why. Uh, there's not really a lot about him or his life. He did some theater, and he eventually retired from acting to go into uh, fashion. He uh, designed and worked in ladies' fashion and did that for most of the rest of his life. He ended up dying in the early 90s of complications from AIDS. So... This is kind of his big Hollywood moment. We got Bill Thompson as uh, Jock, the Scottish Terrier. Using the same voice he would end up using for Scrooge McDuck. Before Alan Young became the iconic voice of Scrooge McDuck, uh, Bill Thompson voiced him. And it 
the voices are very similar, almost identical. You can really not really tell. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, when when you hear Jock talk, at, at first I was like, wait, is this Alan Young doing this part? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, no, Bill Tom. Okay, that's why. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's very similar. You got um, Bill Bacham is a trusty bloodhound. We got Verna Felton uh, doing Aunt Sarah. You Does remember... she count as a villain in this movie? She's kind of the closest thing we have to a villain. I mean, her and the rat, I guess. And the, the dog catcher. The Siamese cats. Yeah, the dog catcher. The, you know, it's it's kind of an early version of Disney not having a villain, which is kind of their MO now. But, you know. Um... We we talked about Verna Felton a lot before. She was fairy godmother in Cinderella. Um, she showed up as Flora and um, also um, Aurora's mother, Queen Leah, in Sleeping Beauty. In case we didn't mention it before, I think we did, but I always find it um, a, a nice little smile that uh, she was married to uh, the voice of Pluto, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee, Lee Miller. Anyway, speaking of um, Lee Miller, speaking of Lee Miller, yeah, he voices he, Jim Deer. He 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 voices Jim Deer. Uh, but uh, so they they got to work uh in the in the movie together. Uh, but yeah, like I said, he he was the voice of Pluto and, and lots of other things for Disney. Um, and in this, he's Jim Deer and the dog catcher. We've got um, we we mentioned her, Peggy Lee. We got Peggy Lee as uh darling. The wife. The wife. She also voiced both of the Siamese cats. Uh, Name, she, named Cy and Am. Yeah. And yep. she 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 voiced uh, Peg, who sings the song uh, He's a Tramp. And obviously they named Peg after her. The the one of the interesting things about Peggy Lee is that she is quite possibly one of the inspirations for Miss Piggy. We've mentioned this before uh, in uh, in the Muppet movie. Yeah, Piggy's original name was Piggy Lee. Yeah, Miss Piggy Lee. Um, So that uh, Miss Piggy is is most likely named after Peggy Lee and... uh, started out being uh, a little bit styled on Peggy Lee. So do you want to start talking with Lady's story or do you want to talk with Tramp's story? You know, Lady is kind of close to my heart. So I kind of want to start there. All right. So let's start with Lady herself, her story. Yeah. Can I, can I can I tell you, before we get into the actual movie, can I tell you real quick why Lady is so close to my heart? Go ahead. When I was a teenager, I agreed to babysit for a family. And, you know, normally babysitting would not be a thing. That I would do, but I agreed in this one instance. And when I got there, they said, We have a dog. 
and she is impossible. We think she's brain damaged. You can't do anything with her. She will bite you. She's impossible to control. She's awful. She is a cocker spaniel, and her name is Lady. And she was purebred, had AKC papers, everything, uh, you know, probably cost hundreds of dollars to her original owner. I mean, just really top of the line show dog. Okay. Uh, I got, I got there and everything and, you know, took care of the kid. The kid was fine. The kid was wonderful, well-behaved and everything, but the dog was like they said, absolutely crazed and uncontrollable. And so I started to work with the dog. It turns out that the dog was brilliant, very intelligent, but had been kind of horribly uh, abused and neglected by the um, adult in the family. And so I began to kind of train the dog because the, the kid didn't really need me that much. The kid was wonderful. So I, I did. And so after a couple of visits, the adult was like, um, what have you done to this dog? The dog lady is, is now amazing like she's a, a, a brilliant dog and I was like well she just needed a, a bit of you know training and stuff and I absolutely fell for this dog so the adult I was working for went to my father and said can I pay your daughter in dog instead of money would you be willing to take this dog in payment? And like I said, this was an expensive dog. And I was making like, you know, $6 an hour or something babysitting this child. And basically they were like, would you like a purebred Cocker Spaniel show dog with full papers and er- for babysitting like here here's a highly expensive dog for and my father thought it over and decided to allow me to have a dog because i had absolutely fallen for this dog so that's how i got my dog who eventually bore the name Henrietta Indiana Jones or Anna for short. (laughs) (laughs) She did not keep the name Lady, but she did look very much like Lady from this movie. Uh, Except she was all blonde. She didn't have the brown ears. She was just pure blonde. Uh, And she lived with me for years. I mean, she probably made it to like 16 years old. And I loved her desperately and i was devastated when she finally passed but yeah so now every time i see this film i think of her and how she came into my life Rewatching this movie again today it was very emotional for me because in temperament they 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 were very alike as dogs that's why this movie is is kind of so special to me. So 
This episode is dedicated to the memory of my adorable Anna, who was born Lady. Yeah, I absolutely love so the way uh, the way Lady acts in the beginning of this movie. You know, as a little puppy who just wants to be with her owners and have been the big bed, and you kind of know how that feels. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, also the humans are awful. You let dogs sleep in the bed with you. That's where dogs belong. So yeah, so Lady is this little puppy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, Lady is just this little excited little baby puppy, and they have the, you know, they try to train her. They put her in her little bed in, 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 in the, I guess the kitchen. Yeah, it seems to be the kitchen. Yeah. And she gets to no, I want to sleep in the big bed with people. And Which is this, her right. <laughs> this, she is correct. You sleep in the big bed with the people. I, I, I do like how, how Jim just says, okay, it's only going to be for one night. Six months later, she's still sleeping in the big bed, completely spoiled rotten. He's not spoiled rotten. That is her place. <laughs> he sleeps in the big bed, protecting the peoples. Yes. And so, yeah, for this entire run, Lady is kind of the jewel of the family. They all, you know... Uh, Jim Deere comes home, races the dog home every day, and gives her a treat. And they all and they give her walks every day and all that stuff. And you know she's pretty much a true member of the family, treated such the entire first half, first third of this movie. And then we get to the big changes that uh, Darling is going to have a baby. And all of a sudden, everything else changes. Jim Deere no longer wants to race uh, Lady home, no longer giving her treats. It's all about, hey, darling, you're in this condition. You can't walk that dog anymore, which rightfully offends Lady. Like, that dog? Dar- Jim Deere has never called me that before. What's going on? They don't want to play with me anymore. They don't want to do this with me anymore. I do not understand what is a baby and why does why is darling not wanting to be playing with me anymore? What's going on? Yeah, darling is too busy knitting booties and, you know. Uh, But then again, you know, this is a a podcast hosted by two adults with no children. So, you know. I, I, I feel entire I feel entirely for Lady in this. I'm like, no, no. You're you're right. You're right, girl. <laughs> this is awful. Um And once the baby the, comes. The funny the funny thing to me is that they do like the pregnancy reveal via knitting, and what I love is that there is an entire page on TV tropes about pregnancy reveals via knitting. <laughs> It's such a cliche to do the, like, somebody is knitting baby booties or a little baby blanket or something, and that's how you discover they're pregnant, you know? I mean, the movie takes place in the in the early 1900s, and it's very obvious that, that they're going with that, such as, you know, oh, we don't know what the gender of our baby is yet, and... I think even by 55, there would still be tests to find out how, uh, what about baby gender. Well, no, I mean, it was still, you know, when we were kids, it was still kind of new to discover the the sex of the baby. Mm-hmm. 
because that was still I re- I remember growing up the that getting ultrasounds and stuff was still kind of the the new thing like um I remember you know my parents talking about like are they even going to bother to get an ultrasound and find out um so yeah I mean in in the 50s even you still wouldn't know it'd still be a guess you have to remember that at this same time that this film is being made it is a absolute impossibility for you know they are showing on tv for the first time around this time an actual pregnant woman uh yeah on i love, I lucy, love I lucy yeah yeah and that was a huge deal and it was such a huge deal because they wouldn't let them use the word pregnant they had to say like in a family way or they had to say expecting uh, which turned out to be great for comedy because uh, Desi Arnaz, with his accent, couldn't say the word expecting. He said spectin', um, which turned out to be great for, for comedy because they, they worked it into the script as often as possible so that Lucy could, you know, kind of joke at his accent. But yeah, it was from the network. You cannot use the word pregnant. It is too lewd and lascivious a word. Um, so that's when they're talking about it in this film, it's one of those things of like, if you know, you know, because Disney is having to dance around this like standards and practices thing of like, you cannot say she is pregnant. You, they, they, they go like in your condition and all of that. Yeah, the, and they your, play up all the tropes. And they, you know, they, they play up all the tropes. Like there's the scene where, where Jim Deer has to go out in the middle of the night because Darling has a craving for watermelon. And chop suey. And together. chop suey together. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but notice that they also never show Darling with a baby bump. Because yeah. that would be too suggestive. They show her knitting booties. They sh- they show if she's off screen for the part of the pregnancy that she's having cravings because she would be showing. showing. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we're in a Disney movie. We can't suggest that they have done any sort of sexual deed that would have led to this baby. So, but we want there to be a baby, you know? There's also, you know, they have a birth scene, but the only thing that we see of the birth scene is Darling, uh, Jim Deere on the phone, Jim Deere on the phone saying the baby has arrived and then the doctor leaving. (laughs) And then we just see, you know, later there's a child in a bassinet, you know, (laughs) we never actually see the child himself until the end of the movie well no we do see because they uncover the the baby for a moment so that lady can see what the child looks like because she's never seen a baby so there is that moment during the lullaby um where they uncover the 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 baby in the in the cradle and it looks clearly like they just traced it off like a baby book or something 
Yeah, it's a very strange watercolor, ethereal, like, you know, it does not look like it belongs in the same movie. Maybe um, it was intentional. Maybe the artists just don't know how to draw a human baby. Either or. I think it was supposed to be intentional styling because they want it to look ethereal and like they want it to be like, oh, the dog has immediately fallen in love with this baby because babies are the most adorable thing in the entire world. I mean, no, but sure. And everything seems to go well for Lady. You know, everyone loves the baby and Lady's getting along with the baby and then Jim Deere and Darling have to... You know I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's let's backtrack here. Let's 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 figure let's let's because this is where the stories converge. Let's kind of talk about Tramp's story because Tramp is a tramp. He's a homeless dog. He lives in the he lives where he sleeps wherever he wants. He goes wherever he wants. Every family in the in the town knows him and get, and calls him different names. There's a whole scene where he goes and points out every family he he meets up with and all the different names they give him every night he goes to a different house and they all give him different foods and they call him different names and he likes you know it's a, it's freedom in his mind he's he's a free dog he goes wherever he wants he does whatever he wants he's not tied down to a single family and we kind of get a little bit of a backstory on him when he starts talking to lady about babies his thing was when a baby moves in, the dog moves out. He never straight up said it, says it, but it's implied that he at one point had an owner who got rid of him because they had a child. When you're when it's just you, you get the steaks, you get the good meals, and then when the baby comes in, you're lucky to get leftover baby food. It feels like Tramp may not have had the best family upbringing. Which kind of explains why he likes just being a free dog. I read it as, you know, he, he had that experience. He had a family. They threw him out when they had a baby. And now he's kind of convinced himself he likes the freedom. But I think he really doesn't because he wants a family and he wants a family so badly that he goes to a family every night. You know, there are other ways to get food and stuff. I mean, he goes to the restaurant. He goes to the restaurant. He could try that with other restaurants or he could try dumpster diving or whatever, you know. I mean, but the the Italian restaurant isn't the only one he goes to. He even we see him when we first see him. He says, do I want to go to this restaurant today? Do I want to go to that restaurant? No, no, no. They put too much starch in their food. I'm going to go over here. Yeah. But the fact that he keeps showing up at houses, I think, is very telling. Mm. He wants a family, but it seems he doesn't want to make the commitment because it could happen again. Yeah, he doesn't want to be hurt again. And I... I think that that's telling uh, of his, you know, issue. At least that's the way I took it. (laughs) And so he meets up with Lady. He does the thing. And again, everything seems to go well for Lady up until Jim Deere and Darling have to go away on a trip. We're never told what this trip is for or why they're going. They're just going somewhere. So they have to go away and we get Aunt Sarah to take care of the baby and watch the house. And she, Aunt Sarah, she seems to have something against dogs. 
Because the minute she sees Lady, it's like, nope, this dog is getting out of the house. This dog is going nowhere near the baby. Here are my cats. The cats. Yeah. This movie has a content warning for racially insensitive portrayals. Peggy Lee, I love you. You are one of the greatest of all time. But yes, you are playing a racial stereotype of Siamese cats. And, you know, we've talked about this content warning before because we've run across it in films before. Yeah. You know, we do thank the Disney Corporation for at least acknowledging that it was wrong then and it is wrong now. Mm-hmm. The acknowledgement that it was wrong then, I think, is extremely important. Uh, it has not just suddenly become wrong now. You know, it's not like it just like flipped a switch and like, oh, oh, now it's wrong. No, no, no. Wrong then as well. As we've said before, it wasn't less wrong then. It was just more common. The interesting thing about this scene and that song is. I hate to say it because while the song is ridiculously racist. It's also ridiculously full of excellent wordplay. It's sad that such extremely talented wordplay is linked to such an unfortunate racialized portrayal. And that has, you know, that is to Peggy Lee's own songwriting skills. Yeah, it is such a skillfully put together song. It is such an earworm, which is also very unfortunate. It is just also, unfortunately, a racialized portrayal of, you know, Asian stereotypes. And later we do get a racial stereotype of a racial uh, Mexican stereotypes with the Chihuahua. The Irish cop also, you can probably say, is a bit. Yeah, a, a little bit problematic as well, possibly less so than. Than some of the other ones. Um but th- this is the big one, you know, when you talk about the, the racial stereotypes in Lady and the Tramp, this is this is the one everybody thinks of. And this is the villain song. This is absolutely the villain song of the film. And, you know, if it wasn't for that unfortunate portrayal, it's an excellent villain song. If you could, if you were able to remove that element from it, it would be an excellent villain song. Because, like I said, there's some good wordplay in there. Um, and a really good cats, rhyme scheme. These two cats are just outright a holes throughout the whole thing, as a villain should be. It's like these yeah. are they're they're going to mess up the 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 house, and they're going to blame Lady for it. And they're going to get away with it. And that's what happens. And honestly, though, that's just a cat. I mean, it's just a really good portrayal of a cat. (laughs) I mean, if you've ever lived with a cat, you're just like, yelp. (laughs) That's what it's like to move on, though. You know, they trash the house and then they pretend to be the victims. And of course... 
Aunt Sarah completely buys it. Oh, my my poor cats. How, how dare this horrible dog harm my poor cats and wreck the house. Uh, and takes Lady out to have a muzzle put on her. And Lady, fortunately, good for her, good for you, Lady, standing up for yourself. She is having none of it and skips out. She gets back up together with uh, with Tramp. Tramp is going to help her get the, the muzzle off of her, and they end up doing that thanks to a, a beaver at the zoo. The entire zoo scene is pretty hilarious, honestly. Yeah, the zoo scene is really good where he's like, hey, the alligator can, you know, get this off of your head, and then the alligator almost just eats her entire head. Yeah. <laughs> one of my one of the favorite, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's wordplay or just the way it was written is that Lady tries to go to the monkeys for help, and then Tramp says, oh, they can't understand us. They're too closely related to humans. Th- that's not something you would really hear in a Disney movie, especially at the time, Acknowledge- have a, some sort of acknowledgement of evolution. Yeah, but it is a good point, though. You yeah. know, I like it. And, I do. And uh, it was a good, it's a good joke. So <laughs> good, good job, movie. Um, I like the, you would think the hyena would be more helpful since it's so closely related to dogs, but no, the hyena just laughs. He just laughs at him. Um. And we get the, the beaver and that entire scene where he's trying to sell the muzzle as a, as a log puller. Yeah, which is really interesting, uh, character, characterization for Tramp. Yeah. Uh, and how slick he is and you know street smart yeah yeah and it really does let you understand how he survived that long and how he's outwitted the dog catcher and you know been able to survive it's 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 a good scene uh as much as i dislike the the beaver voice uh, there and at this point lady kind of gets into the act like Keep it. It's a free sample. Yeah. We do have the thing where Tramp shows Lady how he lives and the enjoyment of the freedom of his like, his lifestyle. Yeah, he points out all the families he goes to every night and all the different names that the family has the families have given him. And, and we get the most famous scene in the entire film. The iconic Bella Notte scene. Don't feed your dog spaghetti. At least if you do, make sure it's properly prepared and does not contain any garlic or other herbs that will kill your, you know. Yeah. You can feed a dog dry, you know, as in unflavored pasta that has been cooked. Um, that's, that's safe. You know, you can feed them meatballs that have been, you know, unseasoned and cooked, but you know, no garlic. (laughs) Garlic is deadly for dogs. But, you know, these two Italian cooks really love tramp. Like they say, you know, Hey, but you're here. uh, And like, he literally, like, there's obviously customers in his restaurant, but his priority is this dog. 
fair. I I love if I saw a restaurant just stop everything to do a date night for two dogs in an alleyway, I would be like, you know what? This is my favorite restaurant ever. I am giving you all of my business. Hey, here, you know, bones aren't good enough for this day. We're going to give them the spaghetti. We're going to have the music. We're going to do all of the things. And the fact that, you know, I don't know if it's creepy or not, but, you know, the, the, the way the the owner of the restaurant went, hey, you got yourself a little Spanish girl here. This one's a keeper. As yeah. a kid, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's creepy or not. Or uh, as a kid, I didn't really notice it. But rewatching this movie, I never noticed that line till right now. <laughs> yeah. There, there are some things that only only hit when you're an adult, I suppose. Yeah. So again, the famous Bella Notte scene, the famous, the scene with the spaghetti and the kiss and the meat and the meatball. It's like that scene is so iconic to this movie and has been parodied and lampooned in other films. The, the scene still holds up. It's a very nice scene. The song is still really good, even if it's the stereotypical fake italian accent but it somehow still works but you know i've heard this song covered a million different ways mm-hmm. and you don't need that accent this is a beautiful song it is and i have heard so many covers of this song and most of them are gorgeous Including the the one in the the remake that they did recently, which we may get around to one day. But you know that it's a, there's a good cover of this in the in the new one too. So so again, kudos to Peggy Lee for writing Bella Notte. Yeah, I mean she wrote like every song in this film. So <laughs> uh, in your typical, I've stayed up too late. I have to get back to my family kind of deal. Tramp does not want the night to end, and fair enough, he doesn't want the night to end. That's fine. But in his own actions of trying to keep the date going into the daylight, causes Lady to get captured by the dog catcher. Bad in itself, but the fact that he plays it off later in the film like it's not a big thing, kind of a Richard move. Yeah. The dog pound scene again it serves multiple multiple uh points and one is you know the as all of these dogs know tramp and they're telling her everything they know about the tramp especially all of the other girlfriends he has which kind of gets under lady's skin she finds the the as they explain in in the movie as they say in the movie the the one-way door that dogs go through and they don't come back from that's always the thing that I hate. Yeah, I forgot about that scene in this I movie. I don't like that scene. And they make the dog so happy as he's going through that door, too. Like, he has no idea what's happening. Yeah. Like, every other dog in the pound know what knows where that door leads to. Except the one happy puppy they have walking through. And just makes that scene even more heartbreaking. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that this contains one of those moments that, like, I realize it was the 50s and stuff, 
but it does contain a moment that I don't particularly like. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah. Tramp has had girlfriends before you, honey. So. It's implied that he's had multiple girlfriends at the same time. It's even implied that Peg is one of these old girlfriends. The interesting thing is, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it might be more that, like, Peg is pining for him and maybe never got him. I don't know. She says she's got it bad for him. Yeah, it's it's kind of more like, I wish he was mine. And, I mean... But, I don't know. Also, the singing voice of Peg, that's just Peggy Lee. That's just her voice. That's not here. She puts on a a Brooklyn accent for when Peg is talking. But when she's singing, that's just straight Peggy Lee. Yeah, and it's so good. Uh, Such a good song. Um... But, yeah, like I said, the whole thing is Trampus had girlfriends before. You're not the first. And that seems to bother Lady the most. And she she throws it back to him later in the film. After he says that getting thrown in the pen is no big deal, she throws it, oh, yeah, what about this girl? What about that girl? What about that girl? What about all these other girls you've been with? Am I, you know, is that all I am to you? Just another girl that you've been with? Yeah, I I don't know. I just, I really kind of, I don't like it. I mean, there's a difference between he's got all the girls at the same time and none of them know about each other. That's different because you're just an active liar. But if it's like, well, he's had a lot of girlfriends before. It's like, well, that's, that's just his history. Everybody's got history. Like, whatever. He's lived a life. Like, leave him alone, you know? But it seems to be like, you know, like, Lady believes that she's just the next one in line, that he's going to discard her for the next girl, as it were. There is the line of he hasn't settled down and we doubt he ever will. Hmm. Which, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. I I don't know. It's it it rub it rubs me that that one little bit of the scene kind of rubs me the wrong way. He's dated a lot of people. So, way the thing is, is that lady still has her collar and tag on, so mm-hmm. she is very quickly returned to the house uh, because she does, in fact, have a family. So they are able to call the house and say, "Hey, we found your dog," and what? Aunt Sarah does come and pick her up, but does chain her in the backyard. Which is exactly what Tramp told her was going to happen. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be in the house anymore. You're going to be in the doghouse in the rain. But, like I said, like I I was saying before, Lady does not forgive Tramp for what happened. Like, she turns her back to him multiple times in this scene while he's trying to, you know, hey, uh, it was just having fun, blah, blah, blah. Hey, the big house isn't in such a big deal. Again, she throws back all of the other girlfriends he's had. But before this, I want to... We haven't mentioned the other two dogs in the in the, in the the neighborhood yet. We, we mentioned them in the cast, but, you know... Yeah. Jock and Trusty, who are very, very close to Lady. They care for her very much and very protective of her, even going as far as to saying, hey, is, uh, is Tramp bothering you? We'll, we'll take care of him if he is. They 
at one point proposed to her saying, hey, if your family doesn't want you in the house anymore because of the baby, you could always live with us. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a large leap to go in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, t- dog t- logic, I guess. I mean, their intentions are nice. They want to. Ma- they want Lady to be in a house. You know, she's she's too good a dog to be regulated to a dog house in the backyard. She should be indoors. She should be in warmth in a people bed, like you said. We're not getting any younger, but our families will love you, and we will love you, and blah blah blah. And their hearts are in the right place, but it's she's not interested in them in that way. The thing is, though, is that. They did not like Tramp being around. You know, from the moment he shows up and is like, you know, hey, watch out for that baby and everything. They're immediately like, go away. <laughs> you know. Well, because he's a street dog and they don't want, you know, it's very much upper class neighborhood. You know, we don't want, for lack of a better term, we don't want their kind in our neighborhood. Yeah, they're very classist. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> But yeah, very classist, but it's also a protective of Lady. It's both, I would say. And then we get, I guess the, the, the I don't know if it's the climax or what, because throughout the movie, we've seen this rat kind of go into the backyard of the of uh, Jim Deere and Darling's house. And uh, Lady is always chasing this rat around. But now that Lady's chained up, the rat is now getting into the house. Since he's chained up, we get Tramp to go in there. He's chasing the rat around. Eventually, he does kill the rat, but in doing so, knocks over the baby crib. Miraculously, the baby is non- is unharmed when this happens. Yeah, it, it is. You do kind of go like, oh, goodness, the baby could have actually been harmed in that. Yeah. Uh, but the baby is okay. Everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, nothing was harmed in the making of this scene except for the rat. And the funniest thing about this scene to me is that the rat makes squeaky toy noises. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you it's imagine, such can... a tense scene, and yet every time Tramp attacks the rat, like you're you're really into the tension of the scene. This is such a wonderfully animated scene. It really is. This scene holds up so well. I was watching it. Like, I know exactly how this scene is going to go. I have seen this movie so many times. And the only thing I had forgotten about this is that when he, like, you know, jumps on the rat or chomps at the rat or whatever, the rat makes squeaky toy noises. <laughs> that had to be some sort of decision to to kind of cut the tension in the in the movie. Because you gotta be, I mean, someone in in a studio is holding a squeaky toy to to the scene. And I'm I don't mean that this thing like makes a a squeak. I mean they took an actual dog squeaky toy and did fully for this rat. <laughs> this thing makes the same noise that my dog squeaky toy makes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, I guess that they didn't want to, like, because, you know, it's a completely bloodless fight and stuff, but they worked so hard to make this rat look vicious. And very realistic. 
yeah, this is a demon rat. And yet, like, as soon as Tramp pounces or, you know, anything or grabs at it with his teeth, it makes the most hilariously adorable squeaky toy noise. I love it. I was rolling. I was like, oh, this completely undercuts the tension of this scene so bad. Because <laughs> it's no longer like the talk saving this child from like rabies or something. It's like now we're just, you know, a dog playing with like his squeaky toy and that's all I can see and it's now it's just adorable oh and it uh, yeah and of course Aunt Sarah hate you know doesn't like the dog calls the dog catcher they get tramp cause she doesn't see the rat yeah, she doesn't see the rat until and she doesn't want to listen to Lady at all and then Jim Deere and Darling come back from their vacation trip whatever they follow Lady they see the rat they put two and two together and uh, try to stop the dog catcher from taking Tramp through that one-way door. Because Aunt get- Sarah is adamant. That's the problem is Aunt Sarah is the, is the absolute problem here because she won't stop for even a moment. It's Once you have your mind the issue. Yeah. And it's, it as, seems that it seems as dogs are the issue, period. Yeah, she just doesn't like dogs. So as soon as as soon as Jim Deere and Darling get home, they open the door and she's like, Oh, don't let that dog near the the baby, you know, and they're like, No, she's trying to tell us something. Calm down, woman. And they follow Lady. They realize that she's not immediately bolting for the child. She's waiting for them to follow her. You know, hey, are you following? Are you? Which is exactly what a trained dog does when it's trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. They will run a little bit, stop, look back at you. Are you following? Are you here? Are you understanding what I'm saying here? You know? Um. And if you don't, then they will come back to the person and get you to follow. Um, so bravo to the animators because they knew dogs well enough to understand dog behavior. So once they finally, you know, make it into the room, she does a kind of not like a specific pointing maneuver like a hunting dog, but she does a very similar thing. To be like, there is something under this curtain here. Look at it. Uh, and that's how they find the rat. Um, so bravo to Jim Deere and Darling for understanding their dog. And it leads uh, to a, a chase scene. We get a big chase scene at the end of the movie where the Jim Dealer and Darling in their car trying to chase down the dog catcher. Meanwhile, Jock and Trusty who admit that they had completely misunderstood Tramp this entire time, try to save him, and leads to Trusty making the sacrifice, jumping in front of the cart, and it's implied in that one scene that he's dead, but it's a Disney movie, he's not. <laughs> yeah. They they try to do the fake out. They try to make you think he's dead. 
it's very effective, you know, with with Jock sitting there howling. Mm. Um, and that that scene with Trusty underneath the wheels of the of the cart, seemingly dead, is really well drawn. But if the character was dead, since this is a Disney movie, you would not see the body, especially yeah. in a in an early Walt era Disney movie. You would see maybe a shadow. Yeah. Or something. Then we get the adorable thing of it's Christmas again. <laughs> yeah. We get the Disney trope of couple has children. All of the girls look like the mother and the boys look like the father. There's only one boy, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's Scamp. He gets his own movie later. Yeah. Of course, that's not how dogs work. Um. This is a Disney movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's really weird in the Muppets when it's like pigs and frogs, but you're like, well, okay, they're two completely incompatible species, so you know we're we're going on complete you know fantasy here. Yeah. Uh, but when it's dogs, you're like, that's not how dog breeding works. <laughs> you know, we get the the scene of now Jock and Trusty just come over all the time to visit. Mm-hmm. They're like uncles to these, you know, adorable puppies. Trusty, however, months later, still has a broken leg, but, you know, he is an old dog at this point. Yeah. I mean, dog gestation is only like nine weeks or something. And, mm-hmm. th- you know, those puppies only look like, you know, a month old or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't been that long. The family has fully adopted Tramp as one of their own. Give him a collar. I like the... The fact that uh, Scamp, if we're, you know, again, taking the sequels, uh, it just unravels Jock's little sweater there <laughs> um, and keeps uh, messing with the, the baby who yeah. is crawling around now. The two seem to, like, get in trouble a lot. Like... Yeah. Scamp is pulling at his sister's ear. He's pulling at the baby. He's doing all this little stuff. And the baby himself is crawling around everywhere. He's trying to, the baby is trying to escape out the door. Yeah. No, no, you can't go out there yet. It's a nice little, little, little ending. Everyone gets their own little happy ending. Yeah. And, uh, Trusty has somebody to tell his stories to that haven't heard him before. Cause all of the little puppies are, you know, they're new. They're new. They they're they're new. They haven't heard them, so they're they're not sick of the running. Me. Yeah, the the running gag. If he said, "Have I told you this story about my grandfather before?" Yes, you have many times. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's it's cute, you know. Yeah, it's cute. Le- ending. So let Lady and the Tramp. We did get a sequel, 2001. During that, every movie gets a direct-to-video sequel. Age of Disney. We got Lady and the Tramp 2: Scamp's Adventure. And uh, right when Disney Plus launched in 2020, we got the live-action remake of Lady and the Tramp, uh, which you've seen and was actually filmed in uh, your state. Yeah, it was uh, filmed not terribly far from where I live, <laughs> just a little piece down the road. Uh, which, if you if you know anything about architecture and geography is immediately apparent um if you've if you've ever been to 
southeastern Georgia, you're like, ah, yeah, I recognize that because it looks like nowhere else in the world. <laughs> um, it's supposed to take place in New Orleans. It does not look like New Orleans. There are two places that look like nothing else on the planet, and those two places are New Orleans and the area surrounding Savannah, Georgia. Those two places are absolutely unique and distinct, and they look nothing like each other and nothing like anywhere else on the planet. And you cannot mistake them for each other if you've ever seen either one. And they decided to film one for the other, thinking nobody would notice that it does not work at all. Uh, well, <laughs> we have said that Disney loves filming in Georgia, mostly because it's cheap. Yeah, no. I mean, and I encourage them to do so. I mean, you know, please, please do more of that. Um, it's, it's a good source of income for the state and the people who work there. And I do have friends who, you know, do that as a line of work. It's just, you know, it'd be nice if you actually set some of that stuff in Georgia and let Georgia be Georgia, you know. All right. So, Kiki, let's ask the question. Does Lady and the Tramp, the original 1955 version, have the magic he's puppies of course i had the magic i'm going to agree this movie is still an all-time disney classic again even with the racial insensitivities of the 1950s in here if you can get past it it's still a really good story it's still a really good movie and it's to me definitely an all-time disney classic yeah, I mean, the characters of Lady and the Tramp themselves absolutely hold up. Mm-hmm. They're really interesting to watch. Lady, especially, mm-hmm. is such an interesting character. Um, so you're very invested in her story and what happens to her. It doesn't really lag. I I was expecting it to be like a lot of these old Disney movies where you're like, oh, why is this part in here? But I mean, no. yeah. For a less than 90 minute movie, it actually is pretty tightly packed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, magic, definitely. So, let's move on to next week. Uh, we have uh, a true story movie next week. Uh, in a, I believe this is a 20th Century Fox film, Hidden Figures. Yeah. Uh, the, I've, the been, story I've of, been wanting to talk about this one for a little bit now, yeah. Yeah, this is the story of the three women that helped NASA launch shuttle. And I am such a big space geek and NASA geek, so uh, it'll be it'll be nice to talk about a true history story. Yeah. Uh, and and that film. So yeah, come so back come, for that next week. Yeah. Come back next week for Hidden Figures, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at RewatchingTheMagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.